1: I'm Hemant Mehta.
2: And I'm Jessica Blumke.
1: And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Be Secular. Be free to love. Be able to choose. Be accepted no matter your race, gender, sexual orientation, or belief system. Be
1: Secular. Be Secular merchandise allows you to display your support for equality and the separation of church and state, while also donating up to 50% of the profit from your purchase to nonprofits, groups, and artists that support those same values.
2: Go to www.besecular.com, pick your item, and then choose who you want to get a donation from your sale.
1: Listeners of this podcast will get a 10% discount if they use the promo code FRIENDLY. FRIENDLY. Make a statement. Be you. Be secular.
2: Monica Snyder is a representative from the group Secular Pro-Life, a group that seeks to unite pro-lifers regardless of their religious beliefs or lack thereof. She's worked with the group since its inception in 2009, and you can learn more about it at secularprolife.org, all one word. For the sake of this conversation and simplicity, we're just going to use the terminology pro-life throughout the discussion.
1: Monica, thanks for being with us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: So how did you get involved in this organization? Like, what's your own history, both in terms of being pro-life and being an atheist?
0: So, well, first I want to clarify that I, I refer to myself as an agnostic. Some people think that matters and some don't.
1: Got it. So, my but, bad. Um,
0: okay. I I actually got involved with this organization because I like to argue online, and a lot of people say that.
1: <laughs> Join time. everybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but I am um, essentially when I first was able to get on Facebook, which I think was around like late 2006. I I sort of unthinkingly really joined a couple different groups that had names of things I was interested in, and one of them was just called pro life. And to be frank, up until that point in my life. I hadn't really looked into the issue that much. I was I was raised that way, and I just I just been pro life my whole life. And then um, I joined this group, and one of my very first experiences in the group was to have pro choice people challenge some of the things I said in in very thoughtful ways. And I had never spoken to pro choice people directly about it before, and it really got me thinking. And I found it very interesting. And I started getting on on that group probably, not literally every day, but a great deal for months and talking to the same people about lots of different aspects of the debate. And, and I you're, having good, to know...
1: you're having good civil conversation debates about this issue. That, I mean, I'm surprised. That's awesome. <laughs> That's...
0: Yeah, well, I think you can only, I think it was because it was the same people and you sort of, maybe this is different for different people, but we basically became friends and and we ended up sometimes getting bored talking about abortion when we talk about other things and we got to know each other and, and so it was easier for us to have useful conversations and to, to sort of approach each other with genuine questions and not just try to win, because there's not really any winning anyway. Anyway, I got to know Pro-Life people too, and one of them was Kelsey Hazard, who is the president of Secular Pro-Life, and when she sat, decided to found the group, she reached out to people she knew Were secular, including me, and asked if we'd like to be involved, and I sort of shrugged and said, sure, because I thought it would basically entail what I'd been doing, which was arguing online. (laughs) (laughs) And then it it ended up getting much bigger than I think either of us anticipated, and I found it to be completely fascinating work, and I I actually struggle to (laughs) have good boundaries when doing secular pro-life work to balance it out with the rest of my life, which needs attention, too. Um, because it's really, it's got all of this intersectionality to it, because you get to know all of these people coming from really, I refer to it as really non-traditional perspectives on the issue, and I'm trying to understand those different perspectives and help people communicate with each other about that.
1: Just really quick, you said this thing kind of got really big. How many people are we talking about? I don't know if that means membership in the organization or people on the Facebook page or something like that, but how far reaching are you guys?
0: Well, the Facebook page right now is somewhere a bit over 6,000 followers. So when I say really big, I mean bigger than I thought it would ever be. Big enough that people are asking us to do college presentations. They're asking us to do speeches. You know, you you asked me to come on this podcast. I never thought I would be doing anything beyond just having debates with people online. And now we have, like, this very active blog, and we've developed a website. So it's bigger than I anticipated. But sure. compared to most pro-life groups still relatively small
1: though okay so how uh how does this get played how does this play out when you're non-religious um and you're pro-life what does that mean for you in both of those worlds because i imagine the pro-life people are not happy with the non-religious side of you and i know for a fact the non-religious people are not happy with the pro-life side so where does that put you
0: yeah, you're you're correct. I find that um, the pro-life people that we work with, the Christians that we work with, I mean, they tend to be, I think, sort of surprised and confused, but in general, they just try to be accepting even if they don't necessarily get our position, but those are the ones that we work with directly. There's also a whole bunch of... Christian pro lifers that we don't necessarily work with that have varied reactions to us. And and yeah, sometimes it can be kind of hostile or off putting. And and you you seen, like you said, that the, the pro choice side, especially pro choice atheists, more so than pro choice Christians, tend to be very, very unhappy about our Existence. I, I. I don't. I wouldn't say I enjoy that. I think it can be very frustrating because we're sort of between a rock and a hard spot, with one group or the other dislikes one aspect of us. But I don't really see. For me personally, that can't keep me from doing what I'm doing because I. I can't make myself religious. You know, I just don't. There are many facets of religion, as I understand it, that I just do not understand or agree with. There's nothing. I don't feel like there's anything I can do about that, even if I wanted to. And I kind of feel the same way about the abortion debate. I have a lot of people I'm close to who are pro-choice since, since I started really digging into it, as I mentioned. And I understand that perspective much, much better than I used to, and I think I, I empathize with it much better than I used to, but there are certain aspects of it that at least I personally have a difficult time reconciling for myself, So, to be blunt, it's frustrating, but I I mean, I can't make myself religious and I can't make myself pro-choice. So, I just kind of keep on keeping on.
2: So, if I'm an atheist and I'm a feminist, why should I be pro-life? Like, why why should I agree with you?
1: What's like your elevator pitch to make us pro-life?
2: Okay.
0: So, just from my perspective... I look at it as a consistency issue. When I think about how I approach human rights for born people, I try to make sure I apply that consistency to people or humans or however you want to refer to it before we're born. And for me, I haven't been able to find a consistent standard that would exclude us as organisms before we're born and include us after. I think there's a lot of good reasons to feel differently about the pre born, but when I try to apply those consistently to all of humanity, I find myself thinking that if we use those reasons throughout, we end up excluding born groups of people that at least I personally think we should be careful to protect. So it's hard to talk about in 30 minutes, but just like as an example, I know a lot of pro-choice people feel that viability is a good sort of middle ground. Once the once the fetus is able to live, or at least has a good chance of living without um, requiring the mother's body, then, then that's a good place to say maybe after that we can restrict abortion, but before that we shouldn't. And I think that's a very pragmatic way to look at it, but in terms of... In terms of sort of the ethical perspective, it doesn't make sense to me because, depending on where you live or when you live, if you look throughout history, there are going to be different situations where a fetus, an earlier fetus, could be viable, like in the United States, that might not be in a third world country today. But that doesn't speak to whether or not it should have rights. I I don't know if that makes sense. So I have a hard time seeing that as a consistent approach, even though I get. motivation behind it so I guess in a nutshell what I'm saying is I think we should work harder to protect even pre-born human life because that I find that to be consistent with how we try to protect born human life
2: do you uh, for you is there an important distinction between um, so if I became pregnant and I didn't intend to and I don't want to be pregnant do you uh, delineate that from I got pregnant and I have a medical condition and I you know, my life is put at risk, or my general good health is do you do you designate those yes. two things
0: yeah i think I think that is an important factor, and there's actually a lot of factors that will change the way the situation looks ethically. I think, in general, if any woman is pregnant and it's putting her health risk or certainly if it's putting her life at risk, that's a different kind of situation than if she's pregnant and doesn't want to be, but sure life isn't threatened. I think it's a more dire situation. And I think, when it especially if it comes to a life versus life, I think abortion has to be legal in those cases because, I, I frankly, I see it as self-defense. I don't think that we can require people to to die for that. I mean, we don't even do that with born children.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So there are situations when you would say, okay, you know what, abortion may be an option in this particular case. Um, But there are a lot of factors that play into it.
0: Exactly. I actually think it's... I think it's more complicated than a lot of people on both sides of the debate like to say that it is. Um, I think that people... I mean, I don't want to put words in everyone else's mouth, but I find that... There's such strong passions on both sides of this debate. There are people who basically see it as equivalent to killing newborns, and there are people that basically see it as enslaving women. And those are both very serious considerations. And I think a lot of people feel that if they grant any complexity or gray area, they're risking compromising those principles. And I, I empathize with that, but I think it's actually, I think it's actually pretty complicated.
1: This is a true story. When I was I was I was in medical school for one year, and I was part of a pro-choice organization. Mm-hmm. And we had a national convention, and one of the sessions that they had there, and I just remember this one really vividly. Um, the lady who was speaking, the doctor who was speaking, asked us all if any, if all of you had these skills to perform an abortion, to perform the procedure. How many of you would do it in the first trimester? And I think all of us in the audience stood up and said we would do it. And then she said, how many of you would do it in the second trimester? And you had some people sit down. And then she said, how many of you would do it in the third trimester? And like, I think maybe in this room of like 100 plus people, two people were still standing up. And the point she wanted to make is this is is what happens every time. She speaks to a pro-choice group. These are doctors who Mm -hmm. will be performing these procedures in the future. And even they... Uh, are not very they are not very comfortable about doing it late into the pregnancy, which is kind of what Monica's uh, you were saying about the viability issue, um, and that was kind of the the problem that this speaker was talking about. Like, we need doctors who are willing to do that, uh, which is a whole separate issue here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was fascinating to me that these are the most pro-choice people you will find, and even they're like, I don't think I'd feel comfortable doing it myself.
2: Well, and I think uh, sure, I, I. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, uh, Monica. I think you're absolutely right that this isn't a black and white issue, and I think all three of us can agree on that. That you know, a, a baby, you know, a fetus that's at nine months and a fetus that's at five days is it totally is it it's a different story. But I think um, I think my issue with um, with the pro life thing, and I I do think that a lot of us have the same goals. I think reducing abortion is almost always a good thing. Um, but and, I, and there
1: are a lot of atheists who will disagree with you even on that.
2: That's no, yeah, you're right, that's yeah. fair, but i but I think the reducing the need for abortion is I think what sure. I should have said the reducing the need for abortion my my feeling, and I completely absolutely you are allowed to have an opinion, and you're allowed to say if I accidentally get pregnant for with a baby I don't want, I am going to keep you know keep it to term because. That's what that was
1: my decision. That's my decision.
2: That's what I want to do. I think my issue is that restricting abortion access doesn't rarely restricts abortions. It just promotes unsafe abortions.
1: Is that something secular pro-life does in terms of uh, at least in I don't know if you guys take a policy stance on this, but do you try to restrict or push for legislation that would restrict access to abortion facilities?
0: Oh, essentially we try to focus more on educational efforts and not as much on legislation like for example we never endorse political candidates and we try to focus on emphasizing the common ground between both religious and secular pro-lifers and even at least to some extent between pro-lifers and what I refer to as moderate pro-choicers the ones that the ones that feel like we do that reducing the need for abortion is 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 crucial so we tend to try to sort of focus away from the legislative side. But to answer more of the spirit of your question, in the long run, in the big picture, we do feel that the moral worth of the fetus would necessitate, necessitate, excuse me, um, stricter laws on abortion. But there's also a lot of debate about whether that would be useful currently, or... There's a lot of debate within the entire pro-life movement, not just with secular pro-life, about whether it makes more sense to work on... Hearts and minds, resources for women, understanding why this is happening and reducing all of that first mm-hmm. before really hitting hard with the legal side versus a lot of people in the pro-life movement think the legal thing needs to happen sort of first and foremost and immediately, otherwise, we're, um, otherwise we don't really mean what we're saying. And Explain. they focus on that more, and they think everything else can happen in its own time. So Explain this to me. I think pro-life is much more the former.
1: Sure. Explain Sorry, this to me because I don't think I understand this. What, uh, if you and I say you as a big collective, you um, if pro life people were able to restrict access to abortion facilities because some states we know are shutting them down, maybe mm-hmm. there's one left in the state, something like that, trap laws, yeah, I that to me, and this is what Jessica was saying earlier, that to me wouldn't make people stop having abortions, it would just make it harder to get, mm-hmm. um, and that to me just right. puts everybody in jeopardy. I don't understand. Whether you do it first or even last, um, it says to me that your educational push for why women should not have them, um, it, it, I don't know, that trying to shut down the abortion facilities themselves would mean that you guys failed with the education aspect. Mm. So that, to me, that's where I kind of draw the line. Like, I'm fine with you guys trying to educate people on these issues. Of course. Uh, more power to you if it works and if you're right and if you could persuade people. But why shut down the facilities? And that's a general question. That's not specifically at you.
0: Well, I will say, I think most pro-life people that I know, and again, I'm talking about the general pro-life movement more so than our group specifically, they flatly don't believe that shutting down abortion facilities or making more restrictive laws, let me rephrase they believe that will result in on-the-ground less abortions. And they and they seem to feel that the arguments that it will just result in unsafe abortions are sort of like these political arguments. There's a lot of disconnect between between you know people on your side of the fence, what you're trying to say, and what they're hearing. And so they pursue these measures anyway because they really think that that's going to overall reduce abortion. And also, I'm sure if you're aware that other methods of reducing abortions, like increased access to contraception, increased sex education, which secular pro-life agrees will help reduce abortions and should also be easy, easy, like, common ground. Many other pro-life groups take issues with that because they believe differently about that, too. A lot of them think that increased contraception will counterintuitively actually increase abortions by increasing risky sexual decisions. There's, there's all sorts of different premises that they start with, in, in their attempts to reduce abortion. so, But getting back more to secular pro-life specifically, I, I think that, in general, our idea is that we want to, we, like you guys were saying, we want to address why women are seeking abortion in the first place, especially the many women who, if they had more resources or more options, might not necessarily be inclined that way. I think everyone can agree that that's sort of a societal failure right there. But we also believe that fetal life, if you you want to understand it from a pro-life perspective, it's kind of putting it crudely, but but basically, imagine whatever you're saying, but apply it to newborns, and that's how pro-lifers hear it. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about, like, there's really no equivalent, because that's not how America in general sees the abortion debate, but if you could imagine some horrific sci-fi scenario where we were regularly killing newborns, right? And then you talk to the people who are trying to make it illegal and say, but that won't lessen it, let's just, let's just only stick with education. Many people would feel that on a human rights level, that's not enough. Do you see what I'm saying? And so there's the pragmatic approach in terms of what actually works, which I totally get and, and in general agree with. But there's also a sort of principled approach where, whether it works or not, we want to live in a society that legally recognizes the value of all humans. And that's a big part of it from the
2: pro-life perspective. I here's the thing, and with absolute due dear, dear respect um, to you, Monica, I understand exactly what you mean, and I sincerely, I, I really, really do. I just don't give a shit. I don't like I, and, and this isn't directed at you at all, Monica. Like you, this isn't directed at you, but like when you say like, oh, they believe that some a three. Three-week-old zygote is oh, – I don't know if that's the right word. I shouldn't have yeah, pretended yeah. to use medical terms. You know, a know three-week-old baby is the same – you know, a three-week-old fetus Whatever is the is. same as a three-week-old baby. I under—I understand that you're saying that's how they think. It. I just don't give a shit because they're wrong. It's not the same thing, and in my opinion. I, I, I just can't – I'm. this is a thing I very much care and about. And if this and, was just
1: a matter of opinion, then, right. okay, maybe not a big deal. But people's lives are at stake. Right. People's uh, – I mean, their future lives, not just their medical lives. Right. Um, so yeah, how do you, how do you deal with people who, I mean, I assume that's a response you get quite a bit, that there is a difference between oh, sure. the stuff. So how do you respond to that? I mean, and, yeah, I'll, I'll, stop, I'll <laughs> shut up there.
0: Well, I think for me personally, when I'm talking with people who are just like not going to see eye to eye in terms of, in terms of how we view the the embryo or the fetus, mm-hmm. then I prefer to focus on where we do have common ground, which almost everybody I talk to, even even people who, you know, disagree with, like, the safe, legal, and rare mantra, because they think rare implies a values judgment, pretty much everyone I talk to still agrees that we want to address why women are seeking these in the first place. Sure. And I think there's a lot of common ground there, and I do prefer to spend more time on that stuff, especially because So secular pro-life, as you mentioned before, kind of is working on two fronts here. We try to have communication with pro-choice secularists about why we see this the way we do, but we also spend a great deal of time talking to religious pro-lifers about, first of all, where secularists are coming from, and also about maybe what could help the movement be more effective. And so I prefer to focus on those things. Like, if you don't agree, let's say that you feel absolutely nothing whatsoever about you know, an embryo or, or anything up until, say, viability, which is, like I said, a pretty common, mm-hmm. pretty common stance. That's fine. I don't think I think it's very difficult to persuade people otherwise without very long, protracted philosophical conversations, and, and that has happened. Right. But it's it's not common in my experience. But usually, even people who feel nothing about fetal life, they they still feel something about women who they're not getting enough support from their professional life or they're coming from a very difficult relationship or they or they didn't realize how to use birth control. Those are all problems anyway. Mm-hmm. Like everyone agrees those are problems and I'm happy to focus on that too. And we spend a lot of time trying to get other groups and people in the pro-life movement to also focus on those things and try to put more effort into, into that. So we, we sometimes it's tricky. We're always trying to find common ground, but we do push for the contraception thing, which is always controversial in pro life circles, and the sex education thing less often. And we also spend a lot of time, at least I do, um, trying to talk to the mainstream pro life movement, what we call it, about how they come off to non traditional groups, not just secularists, but also mm-hmm. LGBT people, and sometimes. We're starting to look into more about some of the racial issues and things like that and and talk to people about what they're saying and doing that they may not realize is very alienating to people who might otherwise agree with them. And so I find myself seriously, like over half the time, not even talking about abortion, but -hmm. actually about, like, identity issues, which is also...
1: What, interesting. What's more important to you personally, trying to convince other non-religious people to move closer to the pro-life position, or trying to convince pro-life Christians that they need to do more to reach out to a broader group of people?
0: I focus more on the latter, I think because I think it's more doable. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, other secularists, not only do they not agree which you know that happens but they tend to be it's difficult to have a calm conversation about it because at least from what we've experienced so far they tend to be angry that we are even
1: that you about exist it.
0: Because, <laughs> yeah we've had a lot of people accuse us of being secretly christian i assure you i am not <laughs> and um and just all sorts of things that i don't really know i i don't know really know what to do with that like So I'll say what I think, and you disagree, and that's fine. Like, even on this podcast, it's sort of, you know, I think what we all expected, Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine, but if it's going to be a a very, like, hostile, impossible conversation, I'd rather focus where people are more curious. And I find that at least the religious pro that we work with, they tend to be pretty curious, and they tend to really want to understand how they cannot be as alienating. One of the most fulfilling things is when I go to a conference, and these conferences are very religious, and I have people come to me like, what am I saying that would put you off? Like, what do I huh. say and do that you think other atheists would sort of recoil from? And they, and they have no idea. Some of them <laughs> don't even know any other secularists at all. Yeah. So it gives me this weird venue to have this sort of separate conversation about religion and inclusiveness that I, frankly, I really enjoy if people are interested. Have
1: you been uh, invited to a lot of religious pro-life gatherings? How many, maybe? Have you, uh, you or maybe someone from Secular Pro-Life?
0: <laughs> I would say that that phrase is redundant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, more so all the time as, as as more people hear about us. So the big thing was every January, as you probably know, There's a March for Life in Washington D.C. and and in the last ten years or so, there's also a Walk for Life in San Francisco. And I live in California. Mm -hmm. And this last year, the people who put on the Walk for Life, which numbers the attendees are somewhere in the order of magnitude of tens of thousands, they estimate between like 40 or 60 thousand the last year and things like that. They actually asked me to do a speech for them, which was unheard of for secular pro life. Mm -hmm. And once I did that. Uh, it got us a lot of exposure, so this year we've actually had a lot more people asking us. I I, mean, I know you saw the, the youth rally thing I did a couple of weeks ago in Bakersfield. Yeah, you gave a speech to people. a big
1: crowd there that was uh, primarily religious.
0: Yes, and, um, and the youngest crowd I've ever spoken to, so that was kind of new for me. Uh, but that's a good example because there was a little bit of pushback leading up to the event, not from the organizers, they invited me, but from from some of the people that were seeing who was on their, their roster. But once I gave the speech, I got tons of great feedback. I think, I think they're afraid that I'm going to go in there and tell them that they're stupid for believing in God. <laughs> really, that's not really my point. Right. <laughs> and and then I go in there and I just tell them, hey, when you say X, Y, Z, imagine how that sounds to me. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times they're like, oh, yeah, that's a... Okay, that's have a good you, point.
1: <laughs> have you or anybody from Secular Pro-Life ever been invited to any atheist conference or gathering or anything like that?
0: Um, I don't think we were specifically invited. We did go to the American Atheist Convention a couple of years ago, uh, and, and I didn't personally go, but... Do you mean just go as attendees, went,
1: or did you have a booth there or something? We or?
0: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelsey went along with some of our volunteers, and from what she tells me, they had pretty mixed reactions. That every now and then we'll have people come up to us and say, "Wow, I thought I was the only pro-life atheist." Which you can understand how they might think that. Mm-hmm. And then they're excited that we exist. But we also had people who were who were angry that they let us table at all, and they compare it to like you know, what's next, you know, secularists against gay marriage, or <laughs> pick a cause, right? right. And um, so it was controversial, and we we had. Matt Villahunty invited one of our members to debate him, I think it was late 2012. And we did, and it's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened. But, but for the most part, no. For the most part, it's pretty, it's pretty don't talk and don't acknowledge. Like, even when other pro-choice atheists do give us a forum occasionally, they usually get a lot of flack about it, too. We're actually on the atheist podcast. (laughs) Oh, I know it.
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm well aware. I think
0: you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's why (laughs) I originally contacted you at all, because I was so... (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised that you covered us, and then I was more surprised that you covered us a second time.
1: Well, I think it's probably one of the most fascinating things that you have... You hold a stance that I... Totally disagree with. I don't think that's a surprise for most people. But it is very interesting to me to see a group. uh, I mean, one, why you guys would believe that. That is interesting to me. And then to watch you, like you said, between a rock and a hard place, like you can't win Mm -hmm. no matter what you do. (laughs) And trying to watch you guys... <laughs> right, and trying to watch, trying to watch all of you try to figure out, like, how do I fit in in the Christian world? How do I fit in in the atheist sure. world? And you're—I mean—I don't think you're gonna be able to find a thing. And that to me is just a I very know, interesting story.
0: Well, so for me, the way it works for me is, I accept that the vast majority of pro-choice atheists are not going to accept us, and many religious pro don't accept us either. And you know what? That's, it is what it is. I'm glad we exist for the secular providers who are already out there because when we do have someone contact us, I've had people come up to me at marches, we've had people contact us through our website saying that they're so excited because they really thought they were the only one and they don't feel like they can talk openly about it because of the hostility in most secular circles, I'm glad to give them that venue. And even if we always stayed small, which to an extent we probably will because of what you were talking about, Mm -hmm. that's okay with me. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have a venue to put these ideas out there. And I never would have anticipated how working with secular pro-lifes gives me an opportunity to talk to Christians who are genuinely curious to understand us, because the abortion thing gives us this common ground where it doesn't feel like a religious battle between us. Mm-hmm. And then through that, I can have conversations with them about how this sounds to us, why this might be operating. I did a blog post I don't know, a couple months ago called The Imago Dei, or Why Secularists Should Care About Human Life, and I was really glad to write it, because it had people come up to me Christians, come up to me at conferences, and basically say, like, I don't really get why you're here, or why you care about anything at all. (laughs) I'm like, they're not trying to be insulting, they're really Mm -hmm. curious. And and so I can write this blog post, and, and the Christians who follow us can read it and think about it without it being this sort of defensive thing, you know what I mean? So I really enjoy that part of it a
2: lot. I, I will say this, and again, as as Hammond said, like I I, I don't agree with your stance, um, and it seems unlikely I'd I'd be persuaded <laughs> without a lot of compelling, um, um, talking. I will say this: I do, I gotta respect you for standing up for what you believe in because I think I don't know. We've all been in the place that we're not the popular opinion as atheists or agnostics, but. You know, it's, sure. you clearly have done your research. I just wish, man, I wish it wasn't a pro-life thing. I wish it was a <laughs> let's try to reduce the need. And I and I understand you or do that. A,
1: it, you wish it wasn't a restricting abortion thing right, so much I wish, as a educating.
2: Right. And I think, I think education is so important and access to birth control is so important. But the reality is people make mistakes and birth control fails. And I don't... What I do don't, you do when that happens? Right. I don't foresee... A situation where abortions are ever eradicated. That just doesn't seem like a realistic uh, future.
1: Monica, do you know uh, what percent of the we, we always hear about the rise of the the nuns, the people who are religiously unaffiliated within that segment, how many people are pro-life? Do you have any idea? So,
0: we don't have access to polls that ask that question of secular or non-religious people specifically, but we do have polls, like Gallup polls, that talk about, on the one hand, how many Americans refer to themselves as pro-life, and then on the other hand, how many Americans refer to themselves as non-religious. And according to secular pro-life calculations, like the the conservative end of it, it would be... Gallup found that at least between 15 and 20 percent of people who call themselves non-religious also refer to themselves as pro-life. So if we assume 15% that comes to like 6 million Americans on the lower end.
1: Believe, Yeah, (laughs) Jessica's shaking her head because she doesn't believe it. But I've actually seen very similar numbers. I'm sorry, go ahead. I have seen similar numbers. Actually, the numbers I think that I've seen, and I would have to double-check on this, I think they were in the low 20s of people who are non-religious, but again, that includes a lot of people who believe in a higher power. yeah who also say they are pro-life or whatever terminology they used.
2: Yeah, I just—and maybe the, it wasn't explained in a way that I I grasp. but to me, like, saying like, this percentage of people are pro-life and this percentage of people are non-religious and saying, you know, just mash those, I feel like that doesn't account for, like, the fact that a lot of Christian people are pro-life and—
1: And say know, they're non-religious right. or something. And for what it's worth— uh, um. I forgot where I was going with that. It's all good. (laughs) Um, No, I was going to say, there are, I mean, for what it's worth, there are a lot of non-religious people who also say they believe in prayer and who believe in angels, and you're like, really? Those don't seem very compatible. And and
0: astrology and all sorts of fun things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, and not only that, but there's also a lot of ambiguity, I think, with the terms pro-life and pro-choice. Everyone on this call is familiar with it, because it sounds like all of us have, like, wrestled with this issue. But Mm. every now and then, and it's not common just because, I work with a pro-life group, but sometimes I'll come across in my life people who are just not involved in the abortion debate at all, like, in any way, it's just not something that's on their radar, mm-hmm. and they do not have the same understanding I do of what either of those terms mean, pro-life or pro-choice. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I could design a poll to really sift it out, I would want to find, basically, all the Americans who are materialists who think that abortion should be more legally restricted. That's how I would ask the question. Sure. but. I don't know of any polls that get that specific. So,
1: really quick, I, is it correct that I read a story that, <clears throat> excuse me, you were rejected from volunteering at a like crisis pregnancy center a, a while back? Is that true?
0: That is true. When I lived in San Francisco before Second of Pro Life existed, actually, I, uh, I, I've always been like I said, I, I sort of am predisposed to the more helping with resources and education kind of thing. And so I thought, if I want to do something in the pro-life world, I'd rather be on the end that trying to help women who don't want to have abortion get the resources they need. And so I thought, well, maybe I can volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. And I looked up, I don't remember now which one it was, because this was several years ago, but I contacted, I think, the one in San Francisco closest to me. And they were perfectly friendly. There was no reason they would know this. I was a secularist, and they just said, sure, we'll send over the forms, and one of them included, like, a written, um, testament that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. (laughs) And I was like, well, that's awkward. Uh (laughs) I mean, I'm not gonna lie about it, you know? So, I actually do know pro-life secularists who have lied about it. Like, they want to help in what way they can, so they just pretend to be Christian so (laughs) that it's not weird which I think is kind of weird in itself, but I do know people who've done that.
2: Have you ever heard the expression, there's no such thing as a moral abortion except for my abortion? Have you ever heard that phrase? They say moral abortion? There's no such thing, the only moral abortion is my abortion? Have you ever heard that? I have heard that. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. have you have you encountered that? People who were previously pro life until they got pregnant, their daughter got pregnant, their sister got pregnant, and all of a sudden, no, 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 you don't get it. Because a lot mm-hmm. of religious
1: people do get abortions oh, in yeah. churches, evangelical oh, yeah. oh, and churches.
2: And a lot of religious people are pro choice. I think I actually think
0: the the mainstream pro life movement. I'm not sure if they're aware of how split it is, even among self described Catholics. It's, it's almost half and half. Mm-hmm. Have you but, experienced um, yeah, anyone? I've, I've not, I've not
1: I'm sorry? Have you experienced anybody that you work with in the pro-life movement who had to have an abortion and then ended up getting it?
0: I have only known people that had abortions a long time ago and that actually converted them to being pro-life, but I haven't known anyone that you know that I know of that is, an, is has like already been a pro-life activist, gotten an abortion, and continue to be a pro-life activist. Mm-hmm. I'm, they probably exist, but you can see why they probably wouldn't talk about it. And I, right. I personally haven't known anyone. I have known um, pro-choicers who used to be pro-life, and either they, or more often, someone they were very close to had to go through this, and it changed their view. Mm-hmm. So, I do think that, I think it's, it's very similar to, um, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but you know how a lot of people might be uh, either ambivalent or against gay rights until they become close to someone who's gay? Sure. I think, I think there's something too that with this too, especially for pro-lifers who have not already known someone who's post-abortive. Um, the pro-lifers who do, they might be a little bit more resolute, like they've seen what it looks like and they understand how difficult it can be, and they still hold the position they do. But, but ones who who haven't really like made themselves take a really hard look at it, I think, I think like with anything, if you haven't really Delved into the the strongest objections to your position, then the first time they come up, it's going to be more likely to sway you
2: yeah, i I also think that there I think there's sometimes a problem that people who people who are against abortion can hold the stance because they've never found themselves in that situation. And so, People who need abortions are those kind of people, are irresponsible people. They're not are, my people. They're not my people. And I,
0: I, I had a friend who— I think
2: there's—I'm
0: sorry. Go ahead. I'm so bad about interrupting.
2: You. No, sorry. it's <laughs> it's totally fine. It's weird over the phone. But uh, it's just a quick anecdote that I—antidote? An, anecdote. <laughs> yikes, but dykes. Um, that I—a friend of mine, you know, grabbed me and was like, I missed my period. Will you come with me to, you know, to get a pregnancy test? And literally from the walk to where we were to picking out the pregnancy test, she was like, oh, I would never, I'm sure I'm not pregnant. I would never get an abortion. And within five minutes when she found out she was, in fact, pregnant, she was like, all right, so Planned Parenthood right now, right? (laughs) Like, I think it's changed
1: her mind just like that. It's
2: very easy to say, I would never get an abortion-
1: Until it happens to you. Until
2: it happens to you. And I don't know, your situation is different from everybody else's.
0: Yeah, and I think, if nothing else, I think that that should demonstrate that even for people who remain pro life in those situations, you sh- we should be very, very um, reserved in judgment. I think that I think that a lot of women—it's it's hard to understand what they're they're going through—and and actually, it's not a very, its also that's also controversy within the pro life movement. There's a huge faction that's basically like we shouldn't judge; we should just help. And then there's a huge faction that's like, well, if it's the same thing as a baby, then of course we should judge, and they argue amongst themselves about that. But I I think that even if a given pro-lifer believes it's the same as a newborn, they should be able to recognize that the woman in that situation doesn't, and Mm -hmm. that makes a big difference. But I also wanted to say that the flip side I've seen happen, too, where someone was pro-choice and then they had an abortion that negatively affected them far more than they thought it would, and or they had an abortion that didn't really affect them that badly, but then they had um, a, a wanted pregnancy, and they went through the ultrasounds and all of that, and that changed them to pro life. So, I think, I think people can go through either transition, and that's why I, I like to seek out the opinions of people who've, well, especially women who've already been pregnant, one way or the other, mm-hmm. because at least they've gone through that.
2: Actually that's yeah that's not an, un, un, an unfair point that there's two sides of that coin you're right
1: I was going to say I I we're closing up here but we were like I wish I want to wish you luck but I, I really don't because I don't want <laughs> you to succeed but I like <laughs> well, you and I you I, I hope
0: luck with the with the, uh, <laughs> with the secular religious understanding part
1: yes and I appreciate that you're willing to have this conversation with us was this a fair conversation
0: Oh yes yeah. yeah I awesome. think so I'm so sorry to swear I, don't, you. I don't need you guys
1: to
0: <laughs>
2: We don't have to agree. No.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for uh, taking your time and uh, being willing to talk about a really tough subject. So, thank you so much, Monica, for joining us. Yeah,
2: thanks, Monica. Yeah, thanks for having me.